And so this morning, in our study of the Gospel of Mark, we come to another very well-known passage of Scripture. Last week, if you remember, we looked at Jesus feeding, we call the 5,000. We know it was many more than that. It was counted as 5,000 men. But it's that great miracle where Jesus takes the loaves and the fishes and He prays and they are multiplied in a very miraculous way, uh, superseding even His own natural law. And so we come to this next portion of Scripture in our study of Mark. We're still in chapter 6. It's um, verses uh, 45 to 56, I believe. And what happens now is uh, none other than Jesus walking on water. Remember that story? And uh, we believe, of course, that it's true, that it actually happened, was not just a story. But that's where we are in our study in the Gospel of Mark. If you remember, you know, that we... um, When we started out, we saw that Mark has a very unique writing style. And he uses this word immediately a lot. You'll see it again today. And he's like, he's on a mission, you know, and he's, he spends a lot of time at the end of his letter, at the end of his book, really focusing on the very last week of Jesus' life, the Passion Week. But in order to get there, he's filling in some details and giving us a bigger picture, actually, of what it is that Jesus did and what he taught. And he really gives a lot more focus to the the actions of Jesus than actually the words. But here we see another uh, thing that we would call certainly a miracle. I don't know how many of you walked on water recently, but Jesus did it. The only two people that we know in history have ever done it, we see in this story, Jesus and then the Apostle Peter. And so it's a familiar story to us. And so as we did last week, I want to just take maybe a little different angle on it. And so um, just take a few brief minutes to do that. And so um, we'll we'll read it in a second and and read through that. But, you know, um, as, as you read through Scripture during the week and you have your time of devotions, you know, where it really hits home is that time of application, right? And doesn't God often just take something going on in your life an event, a conversation, maybe even something going on in the world around us or something very personal. And, and he'll point you to some scripture that will help you just to apply. Isn't it amazing how we can read the same portion of scripture so many times and we, we get something different from it? It doesn't change the theology, let's say, of it, but God can use it in a, in a way to apply it differently to our lives, you know? And so this is a familiar uh, part of of the Bible for many of us, and and you know, as I was thinking through the message and just kind of processing the kind of week that that we've had as a family, was thinking about my oldest daughter Lauren, and um, she's going to be moving out at the end of the week, and you know, she's been out of college for a number of years and has been away since then, has lived on her own a, a few times, but she's been back home with us and living at home for a number of months, but her and, and our son Luke just recently got an apartment together in, in Manhattan where Luke works, and she had used to live there, and so anyway, moving back in, into the city, and it's good, and it's exciting, and it's, you know, it, it's something that they've wanted to do for a long time, and her in particular, but of course, it's exciting for her, and it's exciting for us, but then I was kind of reflecting this week, you know, I am going to miss her. Because even though she's only in the city, how often do we actually get to go into the city? And, and um, you know, and she just loves being in New York. She loves the vibe. You know, New York is one of those places you kind of either love it or hate it, 
Or you say, yeah, it's fun to visit. Maybe once a year you go see a show or something and then you've had enough. Isn't it just the, like the mass of humanity that surrounds you and the different sounds and smells, right, and all that? And, and uh, it's quite amazing. And so it's just part of how she's wired and she loves it and eats it up, you know. And, and so she'll be moving out to this apartment at the end of the week. And so just looking around, things she's got to take and we're going to help her move next weekend. And just thinking about how I'm going to miss her because there's a big difference from being able to text your loved ones be able to have them in your presence right even with like today's technology it's awesome that we can stay connected in a unique way with people around the world instantly maybe high school friends that you haven't seen in a long time for many of us like decades right and you can just kind of like send a quick message and it's like in some ways like you just never left but those things are great they can keep us connected But I think you would agree with me, it's not the same as being in their presence, all right? Even something like Skype or FaceTime, it's great, it's better, but it's not the same. So what is it about being in the presence of somebody, being together with them that that just makes it so unique and different? And it's really what I see as a theme in this passage that It really speaks to us, church, about the presence of the Lord. What does it look like for us as Christians to be in the presence of God? You know, it's one thing to say that we can be connected with Him. And there's many ways we do that. We pray and we read things we say over and over again, right? We pray. We've got to read more. We've got to pray more. We worship. We can meditate. It's about those spiritual disciplines. But there's something about being together in the same place occupying the same space that is quite unique and different and really affects change in yourself and the other person it really changes that relationship you know we've moved many times uh we tell people that uh claudia and i've been married for uh 27 years uh, it's been 27 years and so um, we've moved, I think, 13 times in those 27 years. Yeah, I know, right? Ouch, you're just thinking all this stuff we're moving. And a couple of times it was from like an apartment up here to an apartment in the same place, but you know, downstairs. And pretty much every place in New Jersey except one stint in Florida. And, um, and it's, you know, you learn a lot about yourself and your family when you're moving, right? Tensions can be high and you know, and you start, you get rid of stuff, and you're like, we just moved two years ago, why do we have a house full of stuff again? I remember we moved once, and, and you know, we've lived in different places, we, we've had small apartments, we've had a big four-bedroom house, and, and you, you get to the point where it's just like, man, we, we filled a dumpster when we moved, and then a few years later you move again, you can fill another dumpster. How does that happen? The more space you get, the more that you collect, right? But, but I always do cherish those times in a unique way. When we lived in a smaller space, why? Because it really forced us to spend more time together, right? And, um, you know, when you have a bigger place and it's easier to kind of go off and do your own thing, and, and as a parent, sometimes that's really good, right? When they get to go and, and they can have their own time, but, but oftentimes you miss that personal connection. Isn't that why when we go on vacation, isn't it nice that you kind of try to put 
some of the electronics aside and maybe you just play a game or you sit and you talk. How novel is that, right? And it's usually like a smaller space, you know, and, and you're forced to be together. But it's something about being in the presence of another person. But you know, church, we get to be in the presence of a holy God. And I don't think we'll ever be able to truly grasp that in our lifetime. One day when we meet Him, we will. But you know what's interesting? The word for presence, like being in the presence of the Lord, is most often the word that simply means face. It's about being face to face. You know, we use that term often like, hey, we need a face to face, right? Yeah, we, we can text and we can email, but let's get together and have a face to face. Why? Things change. The way we communicate changes. That we can read somebody else's, you know, body movements, right? And, and it changes uh, the way we connect. And so that word simply meaning face, like we get to see, in a sense, the face of God. Now, not until He calls us home do we say that we'll get to meet Him face to face. But because of the Lord Jesus and because of Him only, we have been reconnected to our Maker because we were separated. And so we're going to talk about sin this morning. We're going to talk about how it is that we've been separated from our God, but we are reconnected through Jesus and His blood and His sacrifice on the cross for us so that we can then once again be in His presence. That's why we sing songs like Holy Spirit in a way just to remind us, you know, that Lord... Let us become more aware of your presence. So theologically we say, isn't it true that we never actually leave God's presence? I mean, he's always there. I mean, isn't that a beautiful thing, believers, that we have the Holy Spirit within us, but we are the ones certainly that tend to drift and fall away. So I think for us, practically speaking, what I'm talking about is that feeling. It's that sense of not being in the presence of God. Now we know there's ways that we have been given to reconnect and to enter into His presence. We just did it. We can worship. And we can pray because we're able to talk to God and listen. But we also read His Word. We can meditate on His Word. We can fast. There's these, what we call the spiritual disciplines. But I think as we read through the text, and I'm going to read it now, I I think we want to see this Maybe with some context, but how is it that when we are sensing that we are distant from the presence of God, knowing again that He is always within us, what do we do to get back into His presence? Isn't that where we always want to be? Isn't that where we want to be? Like I said, I'm, I'm going to miss having my daughter Lauren around and missing her presence, her laughter, right? It won't be the same when we can text or even go on you know, Skype or FaceTime, but I'm going to miss being in her presence. But don't we miss that with God? We go through seasons. Maybe some of you are sitting here and you're in like the depths of one of those seasons and you're just like, God, I don't even know where you are. Yeah, my head, it tells me, I know your word says you're right, you're right with me. You're indwelling in me. And, but God, I just I feel distant. What does that look like? And how do we then get back? into his presence and why is it so important so let's read it now all right so this is 
the account from Mark. It's also told in two of the other Gospels, in Matthew and in John. We're going to read part of the Matthew section as well. But here is the account. And I'm actually going through uh, verse 56, which is also after he walks on water, he gets back on land and there's those crowds again. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to be in his presence. They want healing. And we see there's people that are just trying to even touch his garment to be healed. But why? They're seeking to be in his presence. They sense that's where they need to be. So let's read it together. This is from Mark chapter 6. It says immediately, there it is, right? We got right to it immediately. We found the word. So here is Mark again. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him on the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. So that was after he fed the crowd and he was teaching them. It got to be late and dark, so he sent them home. But he also sent his disciples on. So after that, he had taken leave of them he went up on a mountain to pray. So he sends the disciples out on a boat and Jesus goes up, as he often did, to be alone, even away from the disciples, to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. So see, he was on the land and they were on the sea. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea he meant to pass by them but when they saw him walking on the sea they thought it was a ghost and they cried out for they all saw him and were terrified but immediately he spoke to them and he said take heart it is i do not be afraid and he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astonished and astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret, and they moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately, there it is for the third time, recognized him, and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard Jesus was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplace and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. Great story, right? So we see what's happening there. So in the middle of the night, it says the fourth watch. That's about 3 to 6 a.m., it's still dark. Jesus was up on the mountain praying many hours while it's dark. So at about 3 a.m., 3 or 4 a.m., he goes down from the mountain. He sees the disciples are struggling. They're out on the sea again. And the winds, it's always pretty windy there. And the winds are kind of whipping up. And, and the sea is choppy. And he sees they're struggling. He sent them to go to Bethsaida. And they're like, we can't get, we're not making any headway. So it's about three miles out. Is what we know. It's about three miles that they were out, and he sees them. So Jesus goes to them. They were separated. He was on land. They were on sea. Jesus goes to them. Can we stop right there? Isn't that something that we want to soak in for a second? Jesus goes to them. He saw they were in trouble, 
and Jesus goes to them. Isn't that amazing? And so Jesus goes from and he goes out to them. But practically speaking, they had the boat. She lasted pretty good, right? She was doing pretty well. And every week I feel like she's doing a little better. I know. It's wonderful though. That's good. It's perfect. That's right. Praise the Lord. So practically speaking, how's Jesus going to get out there? They have the boat. So he walks on the water. Now, you know, I was also thinking, not that it really is, is that important, but we often think of Jesus walking on the water. Don't we think of like a very calm lake? And he's just kind of walking right on the surface. This is a sea, and it's choppy because it's windy. And they can't even row the boat. And Jesus is just gliding, right? He's walking on that water. Not even still water, it's a choppy water. Jesus can walk on any water. See, he walks out and it says that he was about to pass by them. Now, in the original language, it doesn't really mean that he was trying to like pass by unnoticed. right? Yes, he was going to go where he sent them. But it says he was like passing by. He made it a point to pass by them. So now what happens? Do they say, hey, there's Jesus. What's going on, Jesus? No. They think he's a ghost. And they're all afraid. Why? Because it wasn't just one of them. They all saw it. And they think he's a ghost. And so let's stop right there. He just was, he's been with them for a long time now. He just fed maybe 20,000 people. And it says they still didn't get it. See, Jesus comes to them and they still don't recognize him. Church, when Jesus draws you close to him, do you recognize him? I mean, how do we get to even know who he is? And not even saying what he looks like, of course, but the nature of our God. Church, we need to open the scriptures. We need to open the Bible and read about it because he reveals in his own word who he is. His very nature, his character, what he loves, what he hates, how he works in our lives. That's how we get to know him, church. We open the pages of scripture. And then we spend time with him. Jesus comes out to them because they're in trouble. In times of difficulty, Jesus is drawing you close to him. He will come to you. I say it often, but think way back in the garden when Adam and Eve first sinned and they tried to, didn't they try to hide from God? And it says then God goes looking and says, where are you? Of course, he knew where they were, but it's not just an amazing picture that the God of the universe was seeking out His beautiful creation. Saints, He seeks you out. He looks for you because He wants you to be in His presence. He created us to glorify Him, to worship Him. He wants us to be with Him in fellowship with Him. Is that not amazing? Like I said before, we love to have fellowship time. We do it when we're getting, sometimes we start late because people are still talking and then we have our time of greet one another and sometimes it's hard to, to get us all back together. But isn't that great? Because we love spending time together. We haven't seen each other, but now we're in each other's presence. And that's exactly what God wants with us. So Jesus goes to them. They still don't recognize Him. There's still a disconnect. They think He's a ghost, but Jesus immediately calms their fears. And he says, don't fear, it's me. Doesn't he say that to us too when we're struggling? When we're struggling, no matter what it is, maybe the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, a difficult relationship, 
a dysfunctional family. We're struggling to keep together. God says, do not fear. Isaiah 41.10, he says, fear not, for I'm with you. Don't be dismayed, because I'm your God. I'm going to strengthen you, I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. And that's what he's saying to the disciples. Now, now Matthew includes a little extra there about what happens with him and Peter. So we want to read that now. So in Matthew's account, I believe it's Matthew 14, it's the same story. It's the same account as a different gospel writer. But in Matthew's account, he adds something that happened between Jesus and Peter, this exchange. And it's important that we see it. It's probably the, the version that we maybe are more familiar with. So here's Jesus. He goes out there. They think he's a ghost. And he says, don't fear, it's me. And then this is what happens. So Peter answered to him, hey, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, isn't this just like Peter? <laughs> right? He's like, all right, Jesus, yeah, we think you're a ghost. But if it's really you, call me out there. I can walk on the water. You were walking on the water. I can do it. That's Peter. So then he says, come on. So Peter got out of the boat. Big step. We take a step of faith, church. Don't we have to first get out of the boat before we take that first step? Talking about getting out of our comfort zone. It's out of our comfort zone where we grow the most. Boy, was it comfortable in that boat. Because of all the winds and the waves, and Jesus says, come on out. And so the first step, church, is get out of the boat. And so Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on water. And he came to Jesus, but then what happens next? But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Is that like what we do? We said, Jesus, I'm going for it. I'm going for it, God. I'm going to follow your will and follow your calling. And when things start to get difficult, what happens? Oh, no. And beginning to sink beneath the waves, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately, there it is again, he reached out his hand. Can you just picture it? He reaches out his hand. He took hold of Peter saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? He's almost saying, Peter, you were doing so good. You, you, you got out of the boat, Peter. I'm very proud of you. You were walking on water. Did you see that? You were walking on water. That's a miracle. But he got distracted. He got distracted by the cares of the world, by the things around him, by the winds and the waves. Did Jesus just not a few hours earlier feed 20,000 people from five loaves and two fish? Now, if we were there, we would think we would never doubt Jesus again, would we? And here they are a few hours later. We can't get anywhere. Ah, it's a ghost. And, and he even starts walking on the water. This is great. Up, oh, And just a little bit of wind. The waves start to, to get in his way. You know why? He takes his focus off the Lord. Again, you picture it. He's looking, Jesus, I'm doing great. All oh, the wind, the waves. And he starts to sink. And Jesus says, why? Why did you doubt? You've seen me cast out demons. You've seen me heal people with diseases they've had their whole lives. You've seen me feed 20,000 people from just a little bit. You've seen me do these things. And why do you doubt that I can walk on the water that I made? Scripture says even the winds and the waves obey Him. 
So he's walking out there and he begins to lose faith. And that's really where it, what it boils down to, church, is we are to draw to his presence. And we're, if we're not sensing that we are still in his presence and, and enjoying the reality of that truth, then what happens is our faith becomes shaky. And we let the cares of the world close in on us and to get between us and Jesus. You see, he had, a, he had his eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus. He was walking on water, but he let the wind and he let the waves get in between him and Jesus and he started to falter. He started to sink beneath the waves and he called out, as we all do, he called out for help. And Jesus reaches out his right hand. What a beautiful picture. And lifts him up. Church, does he do that with you? Does he lift you up when you're struggling? He does. I want to mention a couple of things about how is it that we draw back into the presence of God. Remember, He is always with us. But it's really on our part, from our perspective, that we sense that we're losing perspective of that reality. The reality is He's with us. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of Jesus, right? We know this to be true. But when we are sensing that less and less when we are losing sight of the reality of him being present with us how do we get back into that well we talked about those spiritual disciplines but let's give it let's give it an even bigger picture let's have some context i think it could be important for us to remember these three words first let us remember second let us repent and third let us return I'm just going to break those down just briefly in our time remaining. We need to remember all that He has done for us. Remember His promises. We need to repent of those things we're letting get between us, the winds and the waves of life. But then we need to actually return to Him. There is this great little book that I've had for many years since I became a believer. It was given to me... Um, Actually, I don't know if it was given to me or I just took it from his shelf, but this is from my very first pastor who discipled us. It's got his uh, little emblem mark in here that it belongs to his library. And um, it's called The Practice of the Presence of God. Have you ever heard of that? And so it's a beautiful little book. Look how small it is. And it's, it's by um, a, a saint, a Christian called Brother Lawrence. So he lived back in the 1600s. And in France, and he was a monk of the Carmelite monastery, the Carmelite monks. And he, at a young age, at the age of 18, devoted his life to God. And so he was not renowned or famous during his lifetime. It wasn't until years later that some people who knew him very well, they just kind of compiled a few of the letters that he had written and some conversations they had through writing and they put it in this little book. And for a long time, this has been a great blessing to many Christians. And so I hadn't read this in a long time. And so when we were talking, you know, I realized we we're going to talk about the presence. Of course, this title came to mind. And so Brother Lawrence found a way to practice every day being in the presence of God. And now his main responsibility in the monastery was to wash dishes. But Brother Lawrence found a way to commune with God, to be in the very presence of His Maker while He's washing dishes. Do you think of God while you're loading the dishwasher? 
while you're washing dishes. Maybe you're thinking, I think the kids should be doing this, not me, right? But the point is, is that from his writings, I'm going to read just a brief paragraph from one of the chapters here. He found the ability to connect with God in an extremely profound and deep way to the very mundane everyday activities of life. What a beautiful picture of how to remain in the presence of God. You don't have to go and read your Bible for an hour, but I suggest you do as often as you can. You don't have to pray in your prayer closet for an hour, although I suggest you do that often. You don't have to do those things to be in the presence of God. You don't have to come to this building or a church building to be in His presence. You need to come here to be in the presence of everybody else, right? That's why we gather. But we can be in His presence even while we're washing the dishes or making a meal. Brother Lawrence says this, and again, it's, this is translated from French. Uh, this was, he was in a monastery in, in, outside of Paris back in the 1600s, so the language is a little old, but I think you'll get a picture of it. Brother Lawrence says this, There is not in the world a kind of life more sweet and more delightful than that of a continual conversation with God. Those only can comprehend it who practice and experience it. Yet I do not advise you to do it from that motive. It's not pleasure which we ought to seek in this exercise, but let us do it from a principle of love and because God would even have us. If I were a preacher, I would, above all other things, preach the practice of the presence of God. If I were a director, I should advise all I would advise all the world to do it, so necessary do I think it. Ah, knew we but the want we have of the grace and assistance of God that we should never lose sight of him, no, not even for a moment. Believe me, friend, make immediately a holy and firm resolution to never more willfully to forget him and to spend the rest of your days in His sacred presence. Beautiful. But we still ask the question, okay, Brother Lawrence, how do we do that? He was able to commune with his God in a very deep and meaningful way while he was in charge of just washing the dishes. And we see that there are many ways that we get reconnected with God But from our text this morning in Mark and then also from Matthew, we are reminded that the disciples were away from His presence. Jesus sent them on and they needed to understand what it was like to be away from Him because He was always preparing them for that moment that He was going to leave them. But then, of course, as we said earlier, He said, don't fear, I'm going to leave you with the Spirit. But see, they were out on the sea and He was on the land and Jesus comes to them because they were afraid. I hope that gives you hope and peace this morning and some comfort. He draws near. They still don't recognize Him. Why? (laughs) We always need to know Him more. You know, brothers and sisters, we never arrive, do we? We never arrive at being a Christian. There's always more to learn. There's always room for growth. There's always more ways to serve 
Amazing words, right? Learning, growing, and serving. I say those. But see, there's always room to get to know him more. They had spent all this time with Jesus, and they still, they thought he was a ghost. They didn't recognize him. But you know what's so beautiful? Here is this picture. He goes out there, and the winds and the waves are whipping up. And then there's the thing with Peter, and he calls him out. And Peter's doing good, but he lacks the faith to continue on. So you know what Jesus does next? He does something very simple. Remember, Peter got out of the boat. Jesus is the one that went out to them. You know what Jesus does next? He gets in the boat. Jesus gets in the boat. You know what happens after he gets in the boat? The winds and the wave calm down. It's in the presence of God that those cares and those burdens of life fall by the wayside. Right? We sing that great old song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful presence, wonderful face. And the things of earth will look strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. Right? That's the picture of being in His presence. Again, that word means face. When He got in the boat, they were face to face with their Savior. Once again, they're with their Lord. But what a great... What a great picture and message for us. That, you know, it's about drawing into His presence. It's about recognizing, God, that I have slipped away. I've let some things get in between me and You. And, and so, Lord, here I am and I want to put those things aside. Even at the end of this passage, we see He gets off the boat with the disciples. Those crowds are there again. They want to be healed. And you know what it tells us? It tells us that there were people just trying to reach for the hem of His garment. Now, we don't believe that there was anything um, supernatural about what He was wearing, but it was their faith that drew them. Their faith that made them to believe that if we just got into His presence close enough to touch Him, that He could heal us. Do you remember when back uh, many weeks ago we looked at that great story when Jesus heals the lame man? Remember his friends, those good friends? They lifted him up onto the roof. They cut a hole and they lowered him down. And Jesus says, what? He doesn't say you're healed right away. He says your sins are forgiven. He saw his faith. See, they had faith. Peter walked out. He got out of the boat as an act of faith. He started walking on water. Steps of faith. Even the people were just reaching for the hem of His garment. Believing. Having that faith. And it says all who did that were healed. So, how do we draw back into His presence? Meaning, what I say that, I say, how do we once again regain the reality, understanding the reality of our situation that God is with us all the time? Because it's those things that we let get in the way that can cloud our discernment and make us feel and sense like we are apart from Him. So the first thing is, let's remember. How do we remember His goodness and His promises? We have to open His Word. So let us remember all that He has promised. Let us remember who God is. Let us remember how good He is. Let us remember how sinful we are that we don't deserve that beautiful free gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus. So the first thing is let's remember when you're feeling distant from God, remember. 
Remember who he is. Go back into his word. Maybe that also means that you talk to some people around you that know you. They know your history. Surround yourself with believers that can encourage you. Man, do you remember when God did this for you? Do you remember you walked out to your mailbox and there was a check for $500 and you had a bill you couldn't pay and it was $500? Do you remember when God did that? We all have stories like that. We need to first remember. We open His Word. We talk to those around us. We remember. The second thing is, yes, we need to remember that, but then we need to repent. You know, the word repent simply means changing of our mind. We're to change our mind about our current situation, remembering who God is and His promises, and repent. Change our mind. Turn around. Let us turn our thinking back towards Him. Recognizing, God, I have sinned against You. I have allowed some things to get in the way. I have fallen into this sin one too many times. And Father, I'm sorry. And I repent and I want to change my mind about giving into that temptation. I want to turn from that sin that, that breaks fellowship with you. Do you know what that's the consequence of sin in the believer's life? It's broken fellowship. We don't lose our salvation, church. What we lose is being in the presence of God. That's what sin does. Sin in the, our story today is represented by the winds and the waves. See, it's that lack of faith. It's those sins that we need to repent of and say, God, I'm sorry. We want to get back on the right track because when we sin and we don't confess it, now I'm talking about unconfessed sin here, those are the things that break our fellowship with God. It's, it's a temporary brokenness. Let's remember that. But you know what? We lose out on blessings. We lose out on the peace that we have from being in His presence. Our fellowship with Him is broken. That's what happened back in the garden. That intimate fellowship that God had with Adam and Eve, it was broken because they sinned. We remember. We repent. And then we are to return. We are supposed to remember His promises and His goodness we are then to repent of those things that are keeping us from Him, but then let's take those steps of faith and return to Him. Let's walk towards Him. Do you ever like have another a brother or sister in the Lord ask you, like, how's your walk with the Lord? Did you ever ask, like, how's your walk with the Lord? Why do we use that term, walk? I think it's a great picture. Aren't we walking with God? We're walking. What happens when you take a walk with somebody? First of all, you're close with them. They're right next to you. You can hear them. You see their steps. You're following in steps. See, it's a beautiful thing about taking a walk with somebody. So we say, how's your walk with the Lord, brother? Meaning, are you walking with God? Are you getting out of the boat and taking those steps of faith? So we are to remember and then repent, but then return back to Him. We do it by worshiping Him, opening His Word. All those things we're talking about, return to Him. Take those steps of faith to draw closer to Him. Now, we don't have time for it, but um, I want to just kind of recount what happens in, in um, chapter 16 of Leviticus. How about that for kind of like, eh, we're going to stop and go. Yeah, I didn't think he was going to talk about Leviticus. Now, it's a long chapter, and I, I was ready to read it, but we're kind of running out of time. But let me just... I want to encourage you to go back and read it. Write that down. Leviticus chapter 16. Here's why I'm bringing it up. This is to kind of bring us to a conclusion, okay? 
We just recently, um, many of you maybe you had off or your kids had off of school for some Jewish, what they call the high holy days, right? Rosh Hashanah and then Yom Kippur. You know what Yom Kippur is? It's the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement. And so it's uh, the highest of holy days in a sense that our Jewish friends, what they do is they set aside that day to uh, recognize that they need to have their sins forgiven. Now they do, they set aside one, one day a year for that. But it comes from some passages, of course, in the Old Testament, and it starts with Leviticus 16. Now, when you go back home after you have lunch and you read Leviticus 16, here's what you're going to see. God sets out a whole litany of things that Aaron, he tells Moses, this is what Aaron is to do, to offer sacrifices for himself and the people of Israel. It's very detailed. A bull for this, a goat for that. You do this with the blood. It's very detailed. And I think we have an idea of what that can look like. But all of that is what we get, is what the Jewish people get for the Day of Atonement. They read all that and they see everything that God planned out at that time under right that plan in order to atone for the sins of the people. What happened right before that, before Leviticus 16... The two sons of Aaron who were in charge of worship, they didn't worship God correctly. And you know what happened? They died. Yep. God called them home because they were disobedient. He set out a specific plan. All these things they had to do in order to sacrifice animals so there would be a blood covering for the sins, for atonement of the people. And God tells Moses, all right, tell Aaron, if he doesn't want to end up like his sons, he's got to follow this step by step. But here's why I mention it. I was going to read, just read through it, just kind of like, almost overwhelm us, like, wow, I can't believe this. But you know what's, you know what's awesome? Jesus did all of that for us. We don't have to go through that whole litany of things. Jesus did it for us, and he simply says, like he said to Peter, come. And what do we do? Just like Peter, we are to step out in faith. We receive the free gift of salvation by faith. For it is by grace, God's grace, that we have been saved. Through faith. right? Not of our own works. It's all in Christ. So Jesus did all that for us on the cross. So now we don't have to come before God and follow all those rules. And step by step, we simply come and we ask for forgiveness. And recognize that debt was paid. The price was paid. On our behalf. We no longer have to come into God's presence that way. When Jesus went to the cross in humility. At that moment. When he spoke his last. When he breathed his last. It said the earth was quaking and trembling. It says the veil of the temple was torn in two. We know it. We should come back to that often. Why? Because in that temple, just like when God in Leviticus 16 was laying out the plans, this is what you're going to do in the tabernacle, this is where the Ark of the Covenant is, the mercy seat where, G- where God would dwell, and only Aaron then and then the priest after that once a year would go in and do this, the veil was torn in two by the act of Jesus on the cross so that we then have access to that Holy of Holies where God is. That's why it's so significant that we then can be in the presence of God. 
And one day, church, when he calls us home, we will see him face to face. That true presence. Until then, he has left us with the Holy Spirit, with his word. We can pray to the God of the universe because of what Jesus did and only because of what he did. We can be in his presence because of Christ in Christ alone. So we can get into his presence only because of Jesus. You see, when Jesus sent them on their way on the boat, the disciples became afraid. Later on in the ministry, when Jesus starts to tell them that he needs to go and they cannot come with him, again, they are afraid. They still did not get it. But he promises the Holy Spirit. We need to remember, he's always with us. He'll never leave us or forsake us. But we are to experience the reality of his presence. Like Brother Lawrence said, whether you're washing the dishes or you're in church worshiping, we can truly experience the presence of a holy God. I want to pray for us now, and then we're going to close with a song. It's a familiar song that talks about the winds and the waves. It talks about how God calls us to take a step of faith and and step out of our comfort zone because He is there with His hand ready to catch us if we fall. But He says, step out in faith. My children, step out in faith. You may start to sink like the Apostle Peter. Maybe you feel right now, maybe you feel like you're sinking so deep you can just about keep your head above water. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Scripture says to set your eyes on things above where Christ is, not the things here on earth. See, we can start to sink deep, but Jesus says, I'm there for you. He calls us out upon the waters. So let me pray for us and we'll just we'll close our time with this song. Father God, we thank you for your word. There's so much in there, God, so much we could talk about and so much that we could just land on and, and just glean so much from. But Lord, would you remind us that um, you're always with us, that it truly is just uh, us not sensing that we're in your presence because of something we've allowed. Maybe it's an habitual sin that we have yet to confess maybe it's the cares of the world that we just let get in the way and cloud our our judgment god you call us to a place of joy you call us to a place of joy and comfort and peace of just being in your presence god we seek your face we we look forward to that day when when we can see you face to face but until then lord thank you for your beautiful word thank you for the privilege of being able to pray and even just come into your presence through prayer you say that we can approach your throne of grace with confidence god thank you for that great that great encouragement that we can approach you with such confidence because we have a great high priest in the lord jesus who intercedes for us who experienced all that we experience here on earth and and yet he provided the way the only way for he is the only truth he is the only way to life eternal and so god all we can do is say thank you god sometimes it doesn't seem like it's enough but we say thank you thank you that we can enter into your presence and god when we're sensing that we're drifting and drawing further from you, God, would you in a gentle way be willing to call us back and 
come out upon the waters and meet us, even if we don't recognize you sometimes, God, that we would then be willing to take that step of faith to then draw closer to you. So God, thank you, even as we we close our time by singing these words, would um, would you be merciful towards us? For we, many of us, God, we even sit here right now and we realize we walked in here with doubts and fears we are afraid because there are things in life that that are overwhelming us god some of us are just truly sensing the the winds picking up in our life and the the waves beginning to overtake us but god give us that picture of you walking on the water that those winds and those waves that we fear they have to obey you we can simply draw into your presence God help us to remember help us to repent of those things that get in the way in a relationship with you and God we want to return help us to return to you we say thank you Lord continue to guide and direct us Lord we love you just love being in your presence the joy that it brings in Jesus' name. Church, would you stand? Would you stand with us and